Hallelujah. Ooh. Okay. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 9. I've been listening to this all week because on my Kindle I can listen to the scriptures. And of course for 1600 years most people didn't have them written down. And I've listened to it over and over again and the things that I want to share are not the things I expected at all. Meanwhile, is this not too loud? Is that okay? It sounds very loud to me. Uh, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. I've asked you this question before, I have to ask myself again. What actually motivates you? When you get up in the morning, what are you living for? The thing that you're living for, would it be worth dying for? Do you have control of your own life? Who's in charge of your life? Those are the kinds of questions which I have to answer and we have to answer. And this is why. Because according to Saul, who later we know as Paul, Christ died for us so that those who live, live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Peter puts it this way, we are a new creation, we are the people of God, we are God's possession. Think about that, because that is a startling statement from Scripture. You and I, followers of Jesus, are God's possession. We live no longer for ourselves but for him who for our sakes died, was raised again. That's scary because in many of the books that I read these days, we're told it's no good using the word sin anymore. People don't understand it. 
The word we should use, I'm told, is selfishness. We are a selfish, greedy race of people living for ourselves. But this Saul, who was converted in such spectacular way, this who became Paul, reminds us that we don't live for ourselves, but for Jesus. And that we are his possession, his people, followers of Christ. That's the reason I ask the question. And it's the challenge I give to you. If time goes and I say nothing more, take on the challenge. Lord, don't let this challenge go away. Till in our heart of hearts, our conscience says, know that we are living for you. And you know, Lord, we've got a lot of things in our hearts and in our lives, probably, to sort it out. I know I have. But Lord, don't let this challenge go away. But it's not your challenge alone you sitting in your seat. It's our challenge. Have you noticed in the last chapter, which was about Philip and where he preached to the eunuch, do you remember? That he met going through a desert road. The eunuch was reading from the scriptures and it was in Isaiah and Philip, beginning with those scriptures, preached Jesus to him. And then as they went through along the desert road, the eunuch said, oh look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, how did he know about baptism? It was part of what Philip preached to him when he was preaching Christ. And Philip didn't say, I suggest you go back to Ethiopia and take a series of 12 classes and then get baptized. He says, If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God, you may be baptized. And they stopped the chariot and they baptized him immediately. Now, did you notice that when Saul was visited by Ananias, he'd been fasting for three days, but before he took food, he was baptized. Immediately, he was baptized. There were, as it were, scales fell from his eyes and he rose up and was baptised. And when he had eaten, he regained his strength. Now, when you get into the next chapter, assuming that we cover the next chapter next week, it's all about Cornelius. And Peter visits the house of this Gentile centurion and the Holy Spirit falls on this whole household while Peter is preaching, and immediately in the household, presumably in their Roman pool, Cornelius was baptised. Immediately. Reflecting back on this later, and writing to the Corinthians, Paul says that when we were baptised, We were crucified with Christ. We acknowledged, we identified ourselves so completely with Christ that his death came to us as our death and the death of all our past life. And that from that moment, as we, as we were, symbolically came out of the water, we were saying, I'm not living that life anymore. I no longer live for myself. I'm now so identified with Christ that now I am his. 
Well, that sounds individual, doesn't it? But it's not. Because did you notice Ananias argued with God in a vision? That's pretty brave, isn't it? A vision. And the Lord's speaking to him. And he's speaking back to God as though God somehow or another hadn't understood that that Saul was on his way to persecute them. And Jesus, in this vision, has to reassure him, I've chosen him. He's a chosen vessel. Now you go, because he's expecting you. He's seen a guy called Ananias coming in a vision, so go. But did you, when we were reading, notice the first word that Ananias said to Saul? Well, if you've got a Bible, feel free to look it up for a moment and be surprised. See if I can find what verse it is. It's verse 17. The first word that Ananias said to Saul was not, you old renegade, so God got you, did he? we were so scared of you, but you don't know how much we've been praying for you. You are a triumph of grace, mate. He walked in and he said, Brother. Don't you find that extraordinary? Brother Saul. And perhaps reflecting back on this again later, And writing to the Galatians, Paul says, as many of us are baptized, have been baptized into Christ. There is no longer male nor female, Jew or Gentile, um, slave nor free. As the hymn says, all these distinctions are rendered void in Christ. Because when Saul was baptized into Christ, when the eunuch was, when Cornelius will be. They were baptized into Christ and Christ incorporated them into his body and Christ incorporated you into his body and like it or not, you're brothers and sisters. People have this quaint phrase, don't they? You can choose your friends, you can't choose your family. Well, God chose your family for you in Christ. And I'm not saying it's just Cairns Road. Because God's family is hugely vast beyond Cairns Road. And whether we agree with some of the things others do, or like their music, or the way they lay their chairs out, or whether or not they do wear robes when they preach, or whether their sermons are long or short, or whether their, their music is lively or thing, like it or not, baptized into Christ... Christ has incorporated us together into his body. You and I are one body. And the first word that Ananias said to Saul was brother. And if you look through the rest of that chapter, Saul the persecutor soon became Saul the hounded. First of all, in Damascus there were people who wanted to get rid of him. And they were murderous so-and-sos because they're talking about killing him. And then in Jerusalem, there's another bunch of people who are talking about killing him, doing to him what he did to others. But if you look, the brothers, the family, the church, 
surrounded him, protected him, helped him, encouraged him. They took the danger upon themselves and identified themselves with him because they were already identified together in Jesus. We, it's not just an individual thing. This is an us thing. We are a body. We're part of the body of Christ. And I'm sorry that the way church has developed, that you actually have at times to sit and listen to a sermon as though you're in an auditorium and it's a performance. Show us how to change the way we do things, God. And a bigger amen if you want to. Because we are the body and God has given you to one another in Christ. And we belong to Christ. We are his possession. And and we are there for each other. We're joined in Jesus. When we come eventually in the new year, when we've got it sorted out to whatever membership or covenant is, we're saying we're rooted in Jesus. We belong to Jesus. We are Jesus people. And because we are Jesus people, we have been baptized into Jesus and we're one another people. Now I have some funny ways and you may not like some of them. Forgive me. My wife gets fed up with some of my ways sometimes, but she's survived 40 years of it. Perhaps because she's a Christian. Uh, But we're in this together. We see it in the Acts of the Apostles that none of them said that any of the things they had were their own. They shared with one another. When they saw one without work, maybe, they gave them bread. When they saw someone else in trouble, they came around and supported them. They looked after the widows and the orphans. You see, Christ died not just to get us to heaven. Thank God we have an eternal, an eternal outlook that we needn't be scared to die by whatever means. But Christ died to bring about a new creation, didn't he? A new people. A new society. And you and I are the demonstration of it. If somebody like Saul went ravaging the church these days, and if he looked at you or me, would there be enough evidence him to clap us up in jail for being followers of the way Jesus way now you've heard enough today from what the cyclist said to guess that there's plenty of evidence here that you would be recognised as followers of the way now I believe I'm amazed by Ananias. I love this character as a man of courage and deep conviction. I pray 
I have a scheme in my head. I'm not going to announce it publicly. I've announced it to my wife to see whether this is a right thing or not. I have a scheme in my head concerning Muslims. You see, during my not-in-church time during the week, I encounter a lot of them. And I have to say that they, the, in school, and I have to say, I love these kids. I really do. And I genuinely admi admire the way they are confirmed in their faith. I mean that. I genuinely admire it. But it deeply saddens me that they have no way of knowing Jesus like you and I do. They acknowledge him as a prophet. They acknowledge that I am a follower of Isa, that's their name for him, Isa the Messiah. I tell them. I tell them that I'm in a Christian terms the equivalent of an imam. They accept that. I'd really love them to know the Saviour. But now, suppose I was saying this in Pakistan or in Nigeria, because we read the news reports. Remember, there was a church attacked in Peshawar in Pakistan, where many Christians were killed by Muslims. Now, I have a text in here from somebody who was in that church, which I won't read for the podcast. But if you want to hear it, then we'll have a huddle afterwards and I'll read it to you. And actually, many of the local Christians busied themselves around afterwards helping the survivors and condemned what had happened. But it was a dreadful thing that happened in Peshawar. Now, supposing I was living in Peshawar and I had this desire for Muslims to know our Saviour. And let's suppose one of them does. Then depending on the nature of the particular community he is in, that man or woman may be in serious difficulty. But if I've led this one or helped this one to the Lord, I can't stand back and say, get on with it, can I? I have to stand there in that difficulty alongside them, don't I? I wouldn't have a choice because we're both baptised into Christ. We have become brothers or brother and sister. And if I then stood by that person, my wife would become involved, wouldn't she? By association. And if I then brought that Muslim along to the place where I worshipped, and you are that body I worship with, you would become implicated by association. What I'm saying is that that's what Ananias did when he said, Brother Saul, They are both incorporated into Jesus. They become one in him. Now, could we, are we, 
a kind of body that could take on that risk. Do you hear what I'm saying, don't you? Because this is what the church in the New Testament was like. And our vision is that rooted in Christ, we become a people of courage and conviction and passion, proclaiming Jesus in all of life. So that's not a wishy-washy thing. We're talking about deep conviction. Now, I'm a, I have to finish in a moment. But I want to talk about this conviction. There's a phrase at the end of that reading, which two words which don't normally go together. There's the word fear and there's the word comfort. And in the old-fashioned version it says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of of the Holy Spirit. The church was multiplied. Now, even if it's only to think about during the rest of the week, because it would make another whole sermon on its own, you don't want that, I don't want that. But consider, Saul on the road had a great light flash around him. He heard the voice of Jesus who said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Sorry, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was killing off Christians. Please notice as we pass this point that Jesus identifies with us. What happens to us happens to him. But I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he was blinded. Now, just recall how many days it was before Ananias reached him. Three days. For three days, God left Saul of Tarsus in darkness. hearing these words, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Old-fashioned verses, you know, scriptures, include an extra verse which is left out of all modern translations. It has to do, I expect, with original texts and things. But the old-fashioned versions have got this bit. Jesus says it's hard for you to kick against the goats. And the Amplified Bible says interprets hard as not being it's difficult for you, but it's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for you to keep on resisting the pricks of conscience that come as a result of these Christian testimonies. And I'm throwing this in, what you saw when Stephen was killed. It's dangerous for you. So here's Saul 
in utter darkness for three days, absolutely destroyed and distraught. And he's a God-fearer, remember. He's not a God-hater. He believed he was serving the purpose of Almighty God. And he's suddenly discovered that the Almighty God, whose purpose he was serving, he was getting it all wrong and actually killing God off. Now, do you think he felt good about that? If I was in his shoes, and that's all I can say, if I had been in his shoes, I'd have been scared stiff what God could do to me. And God left him in that perception for three days until he has a vision of a man called Ananias who comes through the door a Christian brother and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the way has appeared to me also to come and, and, and pray with you so that you will see and receive the Holy Spirit. Now what kind of relief? You understand why he speaks so much about grace? What liberation to this man who recognizes his own wickedness and suddenly discovers himself liberated, welcomed. So he says in welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you. He says that to the Roman people, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you. Such a sense of grace and such conviction. No wonder in the light of that love he went out and wanted to proclaim this Jesus wherever he went. The love of God compels me, he wrote to someone else. He knew the fear of the Lord, but it was the love of the Lord that compelled him. And I want to ask whether we know the fear of the Lord, which is not scared, it is deep, reverential respect and honour of God who is not just Daddy, he's Almighty God. Almighty God. Who could have snapped Paul out but has ransomed us with him and brought us into the one body rooted in Jesus for whom we are to live. There's a lot of things to think about there. Lord, whatever is of a challenge to us, don't let the challenge go away, but transform us from one degree of glory, Lord, into the likeness of Jesus individually. And together, Amen.
And let's just um, take a minute for you to uh, listen to God and speak to him in your heart. From whatever you've heard today of him, let's not leave this place and just rush into coffee. Let's say, God, here I am.